0: If you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 16. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. But before we hear the the reading and the preaching of God's Word, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, hungry to be fed by your Word, And so, Father, we pray that you would remember your promise, that your word will not return to you void, Father, but as it is read and preached here this morning, Father, use it. Use it to feed us, to nourish us, and to cause us to to grow up in your righteousness. To the praise of your glorious grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. This is the very word of God. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the reading of God's word. Children, you can come forward to meet me at the front. So in the story that I just read from the book of Acts, remember Paul and his friend Silas, they were in jail. And do you remember why they were in jail? They were in jail because they had helped a little girl and the people who owned that girl as a slave were not happy about it. And so they made false uh, accusations against Paul and Silas and had them thrown in jail. Not only were they thrown in jail, but they were beaten uh, before they were thrown in jail. Uh, and so there they were in jail when God miraculously opens the doors he opens the doors of the prison and he he uses an earthquake to to knock their chains out of the wall and they're they're free to go but they don't go and because they stay there in the jail the the man who had been charged with taking care of them was so amazed that he asked what must I do to be saved I wonder how many of you have ever been in a situation where you needed to be saved Anybody ever been in a situation where you needed to be saved? Where you needed someone bigger and stronger than you to to save you? Can can you tell me about your... what, What was it that you needed to be saved from? it was a different story all right that's okay that's okay because it sounds like you guys are all way more responsible than me because when I was little and and maybe even a little older than you I needed to be saved all the time and and I had lots of stories to pick from but I decided to to tell one that I hadn't heard before right so when I was a little bit older than you guys um, my grandparents lived in Pennsylvania and we would always go up to visit them during the summer and they had a creek in their backyard Uh, And we would play in the creek, and it was so much fun. But one day, I got the idea that I wanted to see where this creek went. And I was going to find the end of the creek. Bad idea. Because I started walking down the creek, and I walked down the creek, and I walked down the creek, and I walked down the creek. And about two hours later, I didn't know where I was. But I hadn't found the end of the creek but I was getting hungry and it was time for lunch so I wanted to go home, but I knew it had taken me two hours to get there and I didn't want to have to walk all the way back that way so I thought I would take a shortcut. And so I got out of the creek and I tried to cut across a field because I thought the creek kind of curved around and maybe I could find the creek on the other side. And I walked through the field and then I walked through another field and then I walked through another field. And I kept having to hop over these fences and I, and I would walk through another field and then I'd have to go under a barbed wire bar fence and then i walked through another field. And eventually, not only did I know where I was, I couldn't find the creek, I had no way to get home. And so here I am in the middle of Pennsylvania and I don't have any idea where I am. I'm out in the middle of these farming fields, uh, and I don't know uh, how to get home, and so I needed to be saved. So I walked up until I finally found a road, and then I went to a gas station, and I said, hey, I need to call my grandpa. But you know what? The people at the gas station didn't know who my grandpa was. (laughs) But I knew his name was Jackson, but you'd be surprised how many Jacksons there are in the phone book. (laughs) And so this kind man at the gas station just started calling through the Jacksons with me until finally we got a hold of my grandparents and they could come pick me up and save me. That's the situation I was in, I was lost. I didn't know where I was and I had no way to get home. And you know what, the Bible tells us that all of us are in a situation kinda like that. We're lost. We're lost because not only have we accidentally wandered away but because we're sinners who have, who have chosen to walk away from God and we have no way to get home. And so because we were created by God and because we were created for God, we have no hope of life on our own. The Bible says that we're separated from God and being separated from God, we are without hope. And when you're without hope, do you know what you need? You need a savior. You need someone from the outside to come and get you and to save you and to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And do you know that's exactly what we have? Our father loved us just like my grandfather and he sent a savior. Who is that savior, do you know? Who's the savior? Jesus, that's exactly right. God sent Jesus into the world that he could die on the cross for us and save us from our sins and bring us back to the Father. And so when the Philippian jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? He's not asking a question only for himself. He's asking a question for all of us because all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's glory. All of us need to be saved, and all of us have a Savior in Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, and you rest upon him for your salvation, you will be saved, God says. And because everyone who believes in Jesus is saved, that's one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. You guys can go back to your seats. All right, well, if you haven't already uh, opened your Bibles to Acts 16, you can open your Bibles there, but let me warn you, that's not actually going to be our primary text today. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, in looking at these same verses, we, we focused on the fruits of faith. We, we focused first on the, the fruits of faith in the life of Paul and, and Silas. We, we saw how they were singing hymns and, and praising God there in the prison, even after being uh, beaten with rods and placed in the stocks. We, we saw that their faith in God bore fruit in their lives But we also saw that that same faith bore life in the the jailer immediately after he believed. Uh, In the hours after his uh, new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he he received baptism and he washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, something he had neglected to do earlier. He even invited them into his home and and fed them at his own table. This was the, the fruit of faith in his life. But this morning, I want to focus more on the jailer's question. In fact, I actually want to use that question as a, as a jumping-off point uh, for a, a new series of sermons, a, a, sermon, a series of sermons that's going to interrupt our study in the book of Acts, a series of sermons on salvation, in which we ask, what is this salvation that the jailer is talking about? Why do we need it, and how do we get it? Now if, you're, uh, if you've been around Trinity very long, you know this is a bit unusual for us. We don't do many topical sermons around here. Uh, I, uh, our regular habit is to preach consecutively through whole books of the Bible, something I don't do very quickly. I spent several years preaching through Luke's Gospel and then another year and a half preaching through Hebrews and now I've been slowly working my way through the book of Acts since August of 2020. And so we we tend to just work our way through books one verse at a time. But now, this, for, for the next uh, few weeks, actually next few months, I, I want to deviate from that pattern and I want to focus on this topic of salvation. And I want to do that for a couple of reasons. First, uh, obviously, salvation is a, is a topic of the utmost importance. It is, it is a topic that is at the very heart of our faith. The Bible tells the story, as you often hear me say, of of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And if you look at your Bibles, the first few chapters deal with creation and fall, the last few chapters deal with consummation, and the the whole thing is really the book of redemption. This is a book of salvation. And so it is important for us to know what this salvation is of which the scriptures teach. But more than that, more than the importance of salvation, I, I also recognize that that it is something we haven't talked about in a systematic way here in, in a long time. We, we are always assuming it. Sam and I are always assuming it as we teach and as we, as we preach. We are assuming this gospel of salvation, uh, but we haven't unpacked it in, in quite a while. And so I want to do that over the course of the next couple of months as we, as we look at the doctrine of salvation. And this morning, we're gonna begin with the question of why do we need it? Why talk of salvation at all? Why do we need to be saved? Why do we need a savior? What exactly is it that we need to be saved from? And to answer that question, we actually need to go not to Acts chapter 16, but we need to go back to the very beginning. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are familiar chapters, and they recount for us uh, the story of creation. And it is only when we remember this story and understand this story, in particular the creation of man in the image of God uh, in God's work of creation, uh, that we can really understand our need of salvation. Because in Genesis chapter 1, particularly in verse, beginning at verse 26... We are told that we have been created as image bearers of God. We have been created in God's image. You see it there in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created, a male and female he Created them. And what you see here is that our identity, our, our very being, is rooted in the, the reality of our creation in the image of, of God. This is who we are. We were, we were created in God's image. We were created to be like God, that we might, that we might represent god to the rest of creation that's what dominion is all about we were created to be like god so that we might be god's ambassadors his vice regents here in creation ruling creation on his behalf to the praise of his glory this is what we were created for we were we were created with with capacities that are god-like we're not god obviously But we have the ability to know, and we have the ability to to love, and we have the ability to act in ways that, that reflect God's character. And we are to use those abilities... To reflect God's character in our rule, in in our our nurture, in in our gardening of all of creation. That's really the the essential work. It is that work of gardening, that work of of taking what God has created and bringing forth its glory and its its beauty uh, for the praise of his name and for the good of his people. And so long as man fulfilled this calling, so long as we lived as his image bearers, we would have life. That was the promise represented by the tree of life that we read in Genesis 2 was in the midst of the garden. Remember, God created this this garden in the east, and and he created it with with an abundance of good things, with an abundance of of trees for for food, and and an abundance of of every provision that man would possibly need to, to, to flourish in his life here on earth. And in the midst of that was this tree of life, a tree that represented God's promise to those who who lived in, in humble obedience to him. We see this in, in Genesis chapter two, verse nine. And when we, it is only when we remember this as, as our beginning, it's only when we remember that we were created in God's image, when we were created by God in in his image for him, that we might represent him on earth and that we might live a life of flourishing, a true and abundant life as his image bearers on earth, ruling and subduing the creation to the praise of his glory. It's only when we remember that, that we can begin to understand our need of salvation because the story doesn't end with creation. God created us. He created a man in his image there in the garden but you you know how the story goes you know that that our first parents did not receive their position as as God's image bearers and as his servants and uh, as his vice regents over creation they did not receive that but rather they rebelled against God by grasping for even more this is the story of what we refer to as man's fall into sin Eve was deceived by the serpent and took the fruit and ate it, and Adam ate it with her. And in doing so, in, in eating the fruit of that one tree in the garden that God had said, do not eat, And eating the fruit of that one tree, they introduced sin and death into the world. That life for which they were created, that life of flourishing, that life of abundance was lost. Like I said, that's what the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil was all about. That tree was a test. It was a, it was a test of whether or, not God, uh, whether or not man would allow God to be God. Whether or not man would, would bow to God as God, acknowledging him for who he is and giving him thanks. Or would he grasp to take God's position for himself. That was what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was about. And when men ate of that tree, they failed the test. They failed the the test, and they brought themselves into an estate of what the Bible refers to as sin and misery. And eating that fruit, they fell from from life into death. That's what we refer to as the, the fall and the fall, our confession says, brought us into an estate of sin and misery. And both of those words are important. To see, speak of, uh, the, of Adam's sin bringing all mankind into an estate of sin, it refers to the, the guilt and corruption of sin. We heard it even in the, the pastoral prayer this, this morning that we are not only guilty, but we are corrupted. We are guilty in the sense that we are now liable to God's holy wrath. As sinners, we are justly condemned. As, as those who have, who have sinned against God, those who have failed to acknowledge God as God, those who have gone their own way and, and d- done what was right in their own eyes, those who have, who have rebelled against God and, and seek to, to claim his throne for themselves, we are justly condemned. We are sinners in the sight of God. And as sinners, we are subject to God's holy wrath. We don't speak often of God's wrath. We, we prefer to, to meditate upon his love. But we have to understand that as a holy God, God cannot but hate sin. Because sin vandalizes his good creation. Sin brings death and destruction to that which he made good. And so God's wrath is kindled by sin, and we are sinners. So much so that, that Paul can say in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are all by nature objects of his wrath. But not only are we under wrath, we are, we are also under the power of sin. We have been corrupted by sin. Uh, sin is, 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 is a poison. It's a virus. It is a, a malevolent power that, that ensnares and entraps and, and corrupts our minds and our hearts and, and, and directs our wills towards that which leads to death. This is the reality of sin. This is the reality of of rebellion against God. It's not just that we have have violated some insignificant rule, some some insignificant cultural taboo. We have, have violated God's words of life. We have broken his law of perfect freedom and we have brought ourselves into a state of corruption and powerlessness. And in that state of sin, We have tasted of all the miseries of this life. Under the guilt and corruption of sin, man is now miserable. Think about all the ways that that sin brings death into the world. Most obviously just in the loss of the health of our bodies. Not only are we going to die one day, but we've been dying since the day we were born. We were born under a death sentence. Our bodies no longer work the way they are supposed to do. We, we, are, we are all subject to that slow corruption. Sometimes we become more acutely aware of it when, when, a, when a disease presents itself and we read about cancer or we read about uh, uh, you know, some other disease. But the reality is that, that all of our bodies are failing. All of our bodies have been failing from the day that we were born. That is the misery of of sin. But of course it's not only our bodies that are corrupted. Our minds are our thinking. So often we do not think clearly, so often we do not think irrationally. However much we we like to think that we are we are practical beings who, who react only to the truth. The reality is that we are deceivers of ourselves and deceivers of one another. And we often go in ways that we know lead to death. Our minds have been corrupted, our emotions have been corrupted. Our emotions have been corrupted in that we now love the wrong things. We do not love that which is beautiful and good, but, but our hearts now long for things that, that, that are poisonous, things that are destructive, things that are ugly. Our bodies have been corrupted. Our minds have been corrupted. Our, our hearts' our emotions have been corrupted. And our wills have been broken so that, so that we can no longer choose the good. We are enslaved to our sinful passions. And in this condition of, of misery, we, we have not only been broken ourselves, but our relationships with, with one another have been broken. The fellowship for which we were created, the, the fellowship which was, which was a, a keystone of, of God's good life for his people, that has been broken as well. We are no longer able to relate to one another as we, as we should, as we were meant to. But now all of our relationships are, are tainted and polluted by sin, full of, of strife, full of resentment, full of, of bitterness, full of, of contention. This is the life of misery under sin. And of course, it was not only our relationships that was, were polluted, but, it, but even our vocation, our, our calling, the work that we were given to do, we were called to, to be dominion takers and to be multipliers. But now, under sin, we do not have the wisdom to to, to take the resources of this world and to shape them in good and beautiful ways. But even even when we design good things, we bring destruction to the world. All work is now full of the thorns and the thistles that God promises in his curse upon creation. And multiplication itself is also corrupted. As the scriptures speak of the heartache that now comes with the bearing of children. And so in all of this, all of this, we have lost the the blessedness of our original creation. And because we have lost that blessedness, because we now live in misery, we have finally also lost our future. The the future for which we were created, that that future of, of perfect blessedness with God forever, glorifying and enjoying Him for all eternity, is now beyond our reach. We are lost without hope of finding our way home. We are subject to that coming wrath, which will be poured out on all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. This is the reality of our condition. We have, in Adam, have fallen into an estate of sin and misery. And this is why we need salvation. We have to see the big picture. We have to understand that our, that our need of salvation is not related to, to just this or to that aspect of our misery. It's not related just to, the, to our failing bodies or to our, or our broken relationships. Those are the, the places where our need presses home. Those are the, the places where we begin to, to feel it. But those instances of our misery, those instances of our brokenness that that cause us to cry out, they are but symptoms of our greater need, of, of the true reality of our condition as sinners under the wrath of God. That is where we stand left to ourselves. We need salvation, yes, from the present miseries of this life, but most seriously, we need salvation from the miseries of the age to come from the miseries of of the the coming judgment of God in which we have no hope of receiving a, a positive verdict. And we have no hope because we are under the guilt and the corruption of sin. And this is why the Bible says again and again that the salvation that we most desperately need is a salvation from sin. A salvation from sin and its consequences. A salvation from sin and death. As I said, we, we tend to, to feel different aspects of this need with, with different intensity at, at different times. Just think about your own experience. When have you felt your need of, of saving? When have you, you felt like that little boy lost in the woods in, in Pennsylvania wondering how he was ever going to get home? When have, you, when have you felt that desperate need for a Savior? It is often when we are experiencing most intensely the, the miseries of this life. But in one way or another, God is using those miseries to open our eyes to a deeper reality. God is using those miseries to remind us that we are under the miseries of sin because we are under sin. And being under sin, we are cut off from him, our only true good, our only true blessing the only true source of life I know that in our present day there are many who who are cold to the promise of the forgiveness of sins it's not something that they recognize themselves as needing they they hope for a different salvation what they think is a better salvation but may we recognize that those little tastes of need that God gives us through the miseries of this life That they are truly his grace. They are truly his grace because he is seeking to lift our eyes to a far greater need. A far greater need. A need need greater than the need to to escape a broken marriage or or a, a failing body. But rather a need for a full salvation. We don't know what the Philippian jailer meant when he asked what must I do to be saved. We don't know how fully he comprehended even his own question. But we recognize that God had brought him to a place where he knew he needed a Savior. And I suspect that God has brought each of you to that same place. And now may he fill out the reality of what that Savior brings you. Because the salvation you were hoping for is far too small. The salvation you were hoping for was was a salvation from this or from, from that in this life. But God has something far greater planned. God plans to save us from sin and death itself. This is why he sent his son. And this is why we're going to be spending the next many Sundays looking at this glorious gospel of salvation. Because it is a salvation that we all need. It is our greatest need. It is really our only need because all the other miseries of this life are rooted here. They are rooted in our separation from God. and That is why the scriptures say that apart from him, we are without hope, but that in him, every spiritual blessing is ours. So over the course of the next several months, we are going to be looking at this doctrine of salvation. We're going to be looking at what it is that that God has accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ, and is now applying to His people through the Spirit. What is this salvation that we so desperately need? And we will hear that it is a full salvation. A salvation that answers every need, even the needs we don't yet know we have. It is a salvation that restores us to life, life abundant, because it is a salvation that restores us to our Heavenly Father, that restores us to the God who made us for Himself. And because God has provided such a salvation, because God has provided exactly the salvation we need, that is why we refer to this as good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you this morning recognizing that in the gift of your Son and in his sacrifice of himself, Father, you have provided us with precisely the salvation that we need. You have provided us with a salvation from the sin and the the misery of our present condition in this fallen world, Father. I thank you that so many gathered here this morning, Father, have already come to to know and believe this good news and have rested upon your Son and have even now been brought into life. And Father, if there are any here this morning who do not yet know your Son, we pray that even now you would open their eyes, that they might see him for who he is, that they might see him as the Savior they need, and that they might call upon his name for the salvation that only he can give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.